So that question, uh, that question of who's going to have that primary placement is going to be extremely important in every case. And when we talk about who has that marital home, who has the place where those kids are used to going to bed at night, where they're used to getting up in the morning and getting ready for school or or for daycare or whatever it is that they're doing, where they're used to eating their breakfast and having their snacks, where they're used to playing in the yard, where they know the kids in the neighborhood, that's going to be really crucial because that's the best place to keep kids if we can. If there's an opportunity for them to stay in their home and have as little uh, interruption in their daily life as possible, then that's what we want to do. And that's why staying in that marital home can be so important. We do have situations. I have had cases where a mother comes to me and because of concerns about things that were going on in the house, because of uh, whether or not it was abuse or, or, or at least certainly uh, some emotional abuse, um, she had moved out of the house. She had decided to go stay with friends for a few weeks and get this on file. And the problem is immediately we've got this problem where the kids are in the marital home with dad, mom is not in the marital home. Again, that's going to give dad an advantage. Now, we hear a lot of things from a lot of dads being concerned about the system being unfair to dads. And I will tell you that in some ways it really is. Uh, It it comes down to statistics. It comes down to mathematics. A 16-year-old boy pays more for car insurance than a 16-year-old girl because boys are more prone to reckless behavior. Boys are more prone to short attention spans. Boys will be boys, and that goes on throughout our lives. And so certainly there are some concerns that men certainly are more prone to violence. There are a lot more of us in prison than there are of women, uh, that we may be more prone to certain types of substance abuse, uh, and again, just all forms of reckless behavior or careless behavior that can be affecting to a child. Those are all things the court's going to be concerned about. And so what the court wants to see and what the court wants to know is is what's going to be the best place, the safest place to have these children. And if two people walk in, remembering that this judge sees 150 cases like this every year, if two people walk in and they both seem like really great parents, which way is the judge going to go? Well, the fact is that if you're playing the odds, if you're playing the math, statistically you'll come out better if you default to mom. And that's why it used to be codified. That's why it used to be called the tender years doctrine that said that kids, particularly young kids, were generally better off with their mothers than they were with their fathers. We don't have that anymore because it's unfair. It doesn't make sense. But on some level, we're still living by that. And so that's why in cases where the primary placement of the children is a question, we're still seeing moms receive primary placement 90, 95, 96% of the time. And it's because of those kinds of presumptions. And whether those presumptions are fair or not, really doesn't matter that much to the court. And that's the thing that I think uh, that I tell all of my clients they really need to take out of this. Again, the situation, the problems that you're having, the concerns that you're having, they're your own creation. You picked this person. You chose this person. You married this person. You had children with this person. If you don't like her now or if you don't like him now, that's more or less on you. 
Now, that's not to say that, that, that there's any blame or guilt that you should be feeling, but the point is the court can't go back and make your life better than what it is. If the choices you've made have made you unhappy, well, those are choices you're going to have to live with, and it's unfortunate, but that's where we are. That's the situation that we have. Um, so the court's not concerned about whether it's being fair to moms or whether it's being fair to dads. Because if you've got to hear moms and dads scream at each other three or four days a week, all year long, the only people you're going to have any interest in at the end of the day is the kids. That's who the court wants to be fair to. That's who the court's trying to protect. And so we do have these systems that are set up, and, and many of them might seem antiquated, and many of them might seem kind of outdated. Um, certainly there are questions about the maintenance or alimony uh, that's still being paid in so many states and how that's appropriate, when that's appropriate, whether or not it really is appropriate. Um, and and, and we're seeing some changes in that. This is a, a rapidly evolving area where I think that courts are, are certainly putting more of an onus on mothers in particular uh, to figure out a way to get on their feet. That being married for five or ten years uh, to somebody doesn't mean that that person is therefore financially responsible for you forever. Um, in Kansas, we really don't have that problem. What we usually see, Kansas has a statute that really limits the uh, maintenance to uh, about 10 years. But in Missouri, there are no limitations. There are no set limitations. So maintenance can be set indefinitely. It can be set permanently in some cases. It can even be made non-modifiable, which means that you could be paying somebody uh, while you're sitting in a nursing home somewhere. They could still be receiving their alimony checks from you. And and so I think a lot of that is starting to fade away. Um, we're seeing fewer and fewer states that are allowing for those really long-term maintenance provisions. There is more of uh, a focus on saying, look, it's one thing to maintain somebody for a, a period of time. Um, you know, in a case like in my own life, uh, where, you know, I, I'm a law firm, my, my wife is home with our children. If I left and didn't provide her with any support besides child support, it would be very, very difficult for her. Uh, so it makes sense that at least for a period of time, that because we've set up a lifestyle and a household based on this idea that I bring in money and she takes care of the family at home, uh, that I'm going to need to continue that for some period because there's it, it's a transition period. And that makes sense. What the court's looking at now is cases where you've got two uh, income earners, and they both do reasonably well, and uh, they both have about the same potential. One makes a little more than the other. Why should we still be having maintenance? Why should we have a discussion about it necessarily? And so we are seeing some evolution in that, in that area. But to bring this back to what we were supposed to be talking about today, in terms of that house, that house is going to make a, a difference in those discussions as well. Because if you move out of the house, you go stay with friends for a couple of weeks, uh, and if you've been a primary breadwinner and now you've left the home, let's say mom and the kids are still in the house, you're going to be paying that child support, you're going to need to pay maintenance. And on top of that, at least during the pendency of the action, and we'll see this uh, a lot in Kansas in particular, uh, you may also be ordered to pay 
the mortgage, the utilities, whatever other bills you have typically paid in the past for the family. And if you think about it, if you live paycheck to paycheck, like most of us do, uh, trying to get from one week to the next and, and, and always working on how am I going to survive, how am I going to take care of my family, if you still have to pay all the bills that you've always paid and you have to move out and find a new place to live, clearly there isn't going to be enough money to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of times there's no good answer to that. And so we do see people who are staying with friends, staying with relatives um, for a long term, trying to figure out a way to, to provide that financial support. So the important thing here, as always, is don't make any decisions of any kind without speaking to your attorney first. You've got to talk to somebody. You need to talk to a dedicated family law attorney who does this kind of work all the time. Uh, certainly you can call our offices, 913-660-0664. We're happy to talk with you. You can also reach us at our website, uh, matthewsgrouponline.com or uh, the short link at leewoodlawyers.com. You can, you can come talk to us. You can find other people. There are lots and lots of experienced and competent family law attorneys in the Missouri and Kansas areas around Kansas City. Make sure you've got somebody who knows what they're doing. Make sure you've got somebody who's going to give you the right advice. And really, most importantly, unfortunately, don't tip your hand. Don't have discussions uh, with your spouse about it until you've talked to an attorney uh, whenever possible. It's really best just to understand exactly what potential risks you might be facing in a case before you do that. Um, <clears throat> whatever happens uh, in your life, uh, I wish you all the best. Uh, certainly, if there's anything that we can do for you, give us a call or reach out to us uh, by email or on our website. If you have questions about the show, uh, you can reach us at closingarguments at leewoodlawyers.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Closing Arguments here on KMBZ, brought to you as always uh, by me, Joshua Matthews. Thanks so much and enjoy your Sunday.